0: No words. One of the few times I'm speechless. But it is a little unusual. Usually when I have the opportunity to get up and speak, uh, Pastor Steve and his wife are gone on vacation. And so I was tempted to call them yesterday and say, hey, I'll pay for breakfast or take the day off, you know. (laughs) It's okay. It's all right. But I want to welcome all of you here today that are here visiting Grace and you haven't been here before. Welcome. And I... I also want to have a special welcome and a shout-out to all the dads that are here today. Let's give a round of applause to all the fathers. Uh, I always feel like on Father's Day, is so different from Mother's Day. Mother's Day, oh my. The, the roses and, the, and all this praise, and oh, we honor the parents, we honor the mom. Oh, mom, love mwah. And then on Father's Day, it's like, hey, Dad, what's on TV? You know, what are we going to, you know. And then they usually get beat up on them. It's so different. It's just not fair. Amen, brother. <laughs> oh. And um, so today's message has been on my heart for a while. And I hope I can convey how deep it is. And how uh, important it is to be a father, especially in today's time. I'm reading from 2 Samuel 18.33. If you have that, you can turn to Second Samuel 18.33. If not, just listen. We live in a time when fatherhood is not very well respected. It's not honored. And there's a lot of issues today with our country because of this. A fatherhood is so important. So we're going to look at the failures of a father. Second Samuel eighteen thirty three. What did I do with my glasses? Right there. No, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept, and as he went. He said, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I had died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Let us pray. Lord, I pray you bless your word, God. I pray that we didn't come here to be entertained, but to be exhorted. And I pray that you would help me, Lord. To rightly divide the the word of God. And to feed your sheep. In Jesus name. Amen. King David. Is the only man. In the whole Bible. To be called a man. After God's own heart. The only one. He was a good diplomat. He was a great king. He was a. Gifted musician. He was a caring shepherd and a valiant warrior. He was only a boy when he slayed Goliath. And after that, they made a song for him. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. He penned many of the psalms, and he was also a prophet. King David is one of the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11. He extended the boundaries of Israel from 6,000 to 60,000 square miles. He set up trade routes that brought wealth into Israel like never before. King David was a remarkable man. He was a brilliant planner and military strategist. He was so great that one of the messianic titles of Jesus Christ is the son of David. He even has a city named after him, the city of David. He has a star named after him, the star of David. And while he excelled in all of these roles, it pains me to say that he was a failure as a father. How could someone so gifted, so successful, so talented, Who defeated a giant nine feet, nine inches tall. I think that's about that height. With a slingshot. Who was so powerful that 62 chapters in the Old Testament are devoted to his biography. And no less than 59 references in the New Testament are about him. How? How could someone with so many accolades fail? As a father. Some of you here are fathers. And God willing, some of you will be fathers in the future. I know we have a a, brother. Hector is getting ready to have a a baby pretty soon. He's going to be a father. So many people are. But since today is Father's Day. I would like to look at the life of David as a, fa- as a father and what we can learn from him. I only have really a four points. It's not that long. Number one, if you have an outline, just follow along with your outline. He failed to discipline his children. Turn to 2 Samuel 13. 2 Samuel 13. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister. And when the Bible says somebody's beautiful, they're beautiful. (laughs) Whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar. For she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab. And the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, and Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, "O oh, son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down. She took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes she had made. And brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. She answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me. For such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? As for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her, and being stronger than her, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go. But she said to him, No, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. He would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Notice that. Put this woman. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. Amnon was David's oldest son, his firstborn. And Amnon fell into lust with his half-sister Tamar. And his affections for her were unnatural and an abomination. In Leviticus 189, you don't have to turn to it. In Leviticus 18:9 it says this, "You shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter, or your mother's daughter, whether brought up in the family or in another house." And then verse 29, "For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people." And then in Leviticus, 20 verse 17 it says if a man takes his sister, a daughter of his father or a daughter of his mother and sees her nakedness and she sees his nakedness it is a disgrace and they shall be cut off in the sight of the children of their people. Cut off. What does that mean? Cut off. It means to be put to death. And what was David's reaction after Amnon's despicable act. Look at verse 21. And when David heard of all these things, he was very angry. That's it? That's all? Just angry? He didn't do anything. Nothing. It was his duty as the king to administer justice. And David was negligent as a king, and David was negligent as a father to discipline his son. Negligent. And to make matters worse, it doesn't even appear that David tended to his only daughter. It's his only daughter, Tamar. Because verse 20 tells us that she went to the house of her brother Absalom, a desolate, another version says, desperate woman. What does that word mean? It means secluded And lonely. In other words. Amnon ruined her life. He ruined it. And I think Amnon. Knew his father. And he knew. He could get away with it. Without any consequences. Wow. I can't believe it. So David. He failed to discipline Amnon. Number two. He failed to discipline Absalom. Look at. Chapter thirteen verse twenty eight. Verse twenty eight. Then Absalom commanded his servants Mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not be do not fear. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. So the servants of Amnon did to Am, so the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Verse 28 tells us that Absalom murdered Amnon. Look at chapter 14, verse 30. One page over, verse 30. Then he said to his servants, See, Joab's field is next to mine, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. So Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Absalom murdered Amnon. Absalom burns Joab's field. And what does David do? Nothing. That was a rhetorical question, but it's okay. <laughs> he didn't do nothing. He didn't discipline him, and he didn't question him. I got one more example. Turn to First Kings. Keep your finger or something in 2 Samuel, because we're going to come back to that. A few chapters over. 1 Kings, verse 6. First Kings, chapter 6. I'm starting at verse 5. I'm sorry. First Kings chap- ch- chapter 1, verse 5. Now, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. Verse 6. His father had never at any time displeased him by saying, Why have you done this? Thus and so. His father had never at any time displeased him. Literally, that verse reads, literally, had never pained his son. Had never pained him. What does that mean? Obviously, David had failed to properly discipline his son when necessary. He did nothing. And I like looking at other versions. The new King James says, And his father had not rebuked him at any time. The New Living Translation says, and his father had not disciplined him, had never disciplined him at any time. Even by asking, why are you doing that? Adonijah goes and gets a couple of chariots, kind of like this. Nice. Gets 50 men. He recruits 50 men to run in front of him. And he parades around the town like he's the new king. It would be like me coming up here and pretending like I'm the pastor. I don't think Steve would would, would allow that. (laughs) Not without saying something. Brother, what are you doing? (laughs) Have you lost your mind? Wouldn't he? Yeah. but, But David did not do anything. He didn't even question him. Some of the versions, maybe you have the NIV, says he did not interfere. He did nothing. David was so busy with the affairs of the kingdom that he failed to discipline his children. In public, oh, David was brilliant and decisive. But at home, he was passive and negligent. And you know what? Many of us can be like that. In public, in the eyes of everybody, oh, look at that person. Wow, look at him. But at home, a whole different story. And your children know. There are no secrets at home. David was so busy with the affairs of his kingdom that he failed to discipline his children. He failed to discipline Amnon. He failed to discipline Absalom. He failed to discipline Adonijah. I can't find one verse in the Bible. I can't find one verse in the Bible where David disciplined his children, but I can find one example after another where his sons transgressed the law of God and he did nothing, nothing. I remember when I was 14, I was a freshman in high school and I didn't have, no, I did have some money. I went to the we had this like grocery store called the Base Exchange. It's kind of like a Lucky Safeway. Base ex- the Base Exchange, and I went in there, and um, I saw some candy, and I was by myself, and I thought, and I even remember what kind of candy was lemonheads. They still, they still make the lemonheads in a little box. And anyway, I saw those. I saw okay. And then I walked out. I think I got some licorice, too. Walked out the BX. This lady came up to me. Excuse me, sir. Hey, you got to come with me. It was like, oh. I got caught for shoplifting candy. We call it pity theft. I had to go to the police station. My dad, I remember seeing them call my dad. You get to come to the police department. Pick up your son. My dad comes to the police department. Is this your son? Take take him home. And I was dreading it. All the way home, I was dreading. Oh, Lord. Didn't even know the Lord back then. I was, oh, Lord. Knees. I was like, uh uh-oh. The biggest surprise of my life, my dad did not say, One word to me all the way home. He did not discipline me. He did not scold me. He did not ground me. Nothing. Not one word did he say. There was no discipline and there was no consequences. Listen to me. Children need to experience discipline. So they can learn about consequences. If you agree with me, say amen. Amen. Oh good, that's what I want to hear. Over and over again in Proverbs, it says to discipline your children. Spanking today has been replaced with what? Shouting. Spanking has been replaced by shouting. People don't want to spank their kids anymore. I was at work the other day, and I'm getting ready to to prepare this message. And I asked these two ladies, uh, do you guys uh, believe in corporal punishment? Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. And, you know, um, why? Oh, I don't want my children to grow up and hate me. I said, uh, my mom spanked me, and I loved her to death. You know? Matter of fact, I remember my mom, I was running. I was disrespectful. I ran. I, did, I said something like, what? Or something, you know. I remember her chasing me down the street with a pan. Yeah. With a frying pan. I'm like, oh, people are going to think we're crazy. But I'm not saying to do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. But just to show you back then, you did not give your parents lip. You did not talk back. Not not in my house. It's not politically correct anymore to spank your kids. But it is biblical. It just surprises me how much of the world has come into the church. And how much of the church has gotten into the world church has become so worldly and the world has become so churchy. Proverbs thirteen don't turn to it, says, He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Another one, Proverbs 22, 15, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs 23, 13, do not withhold discipline from your child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, you can look at it yourself later. Proverbs 29, 17. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. Did you know that these, many of these proverbs were written by David's son, Solomon? I wonder if he wasn't reflecting back on his life as a child and remembering his brothers and their lack of discipline. Wow. Discipline, let me, and let me clarify something. Discipline is not beating and child abuse. Discipline is active and positive instruction and training to change the negative behavior. And after, after all else fails... Then you can apply the Board of Education to the seat of learning. (laughs) After. As human parents, we make mistakes if we over discipline, if we under discipline, or if we fail to discipline. So, my first point he failed to discipline his children. Number two, he failed to spend time with his children. During the time the children were growing up, David remained exceptionally busy. He defeated the Philistines in 2 Samuel 5, 17, the Moabites in 2 Samuel 8, the Arameans in 2 Samuel 8, and he wiped out a number of invading armies like the Amalekites. When he wasn't building, conquering, or expanding the borders, he was attending all these numerous administrative meetings. He spent time making alliances, doing diplomatic matters, giving public speeches, and traveling. It took so much time to do all these things as the king. David conceived lots of children. Does anybody know how many children he had? I have have a little gift. Does anybody know exactly how many children David had? Who said that? Eighteen. You're close. Sixteen? No, you're getting worse. You're cold. You're getting cold. There it is. Come see me after church. I got something for you. Eighteen. Eighteen sons or twenty sons and one daughter. Twenty-one. Twenty-one children. Does anybody know how many wives he had? Stop where you're hit. Anybody know how many? David had eight wives and numerous concubines. I think the first six children were all from different mothers. He had eight wives that are biblically recorded and numerous concubines. He had had a few wives. And he had 21 children. David conceived lots of children, but he didn't spend time with them. I want you to turn to 2 Samuel 13, 23. I like when I hear the pages. 2 Samuel 13 23. 13, 23. After two full years, Absalom had sheep shearers at Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, your servant has sheep shears. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go, lest we be burdensome to you. He pressed him, but he would not go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom pressed him, until he let Amnon and all the king's son go with him. Did you catch that excuse David gave for not attending? I don't think I can go because I don't want to be a burden to you. What kind of lame excuse is that? I wonder what other kind of excuses he given when his children wanted to play, or ride horses, or go to their birthday parties. You know, think about it. Think about this. This this is important. Why would Absalom even bother to invite his father to the celebration, knowing full well that if his dad, David, accepted the invitation, he wouldn't have been able to carry out his plot of murdering Amnon. Did you think about that? Absalom had to give the impression that everything between him and, and Amnon were cool. There was no problems. Everything was fine. But Absalom knew that David probably would not accept the invitation. David had established a pattern of not spending time with his children. Also, if David had been been spending time with his children, he would have known that his son Absalom hadn't spoken to Amnon for two years. Two years. And if David had been spending time with his sons, he would have known of the hatred brewing between Absalom and Amnon. Look at verse 32. Verse 32. After uh, Amnon is murdered, it says, But Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, said, Let not, my lord, suppose that they have killed all the young men, the king's son, for Amnon alone is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. Jonadab knew. He knew that something was going on. And not only did he know what was going on, he even knew why. See, David had not been spending time with them. Or he would have known. Don't you know when your children aren't talking? You see them. You're right there. If you're there every day, you see them. Oh, they're not talking to each other. And then, you know, you have to get them to come together and, and uh, make up. But King David teaches us that no matter how important of a role you have at work, you might be the CEO, the CFO, the lead engineer, the supervisor. You might be one of the big leaders in the, in the company. Your most important role is the role of a father. And if you are not spending time at home with your children, you are abdicating your responsibility. And I don't apologize for that. You don't have to be perfect. But you have to be there around the house. You have to spend time there. You have to be involved. Not on your computer. Not on your laptop. Not on your cell phone. Not in front of the TV. Spending time with your children. After Sam's sermon last week. Which I want to, first of all, I want to, you, you guys need to know how much time, planning, preparation, and prayer is invested and poured into these messages. And I just want to thank Ken and Sam and, and Steve for all the work they do preparing the wor- these messages. It takes time. But after Sam's message last Sunday, I, w- I went home and I looked. Because he was talking about the, the cell phone. We even saw the video of the man that was a cell phone. I looked it up, and you can find anything on uh, Google. The average American spends 4.7 hours a day on their smartphones. Texting, browsing, talking, socializing. 4.7, almost 5 hours a day. That's more time. We spend more time on our smartphones than we do with our children. And I was surprised to learn there's even a disease called nomophobia. It's the fear of being without your cell phone. I was like, what? (laughs) Nomo what? (laughs) Gosh. You know, and it's even surprising. You know, you got to take them everywhere. You got to take your cell phone. You can't even turn it off when you come in church. It's got to be on. Let it go. Leave it alone. Get it later. 40% 40% of the people have this nomophobia. There's a song that I grew up with called Cats in the Cradle by Harry Chapin, And it's a song about a father who was so busy at work that he didn't have time to spend with his son. And there's a phrase in there, little boy blue. And that phrase refers to the son being sad because he, he's not able to see his dad. And the phrase, man in the moon, refers to the son idolizing his father. Hence the phrase, and I'm going to be like you, dad. He idolized him. And his song goes like this. I'm going to try not to sing. But the melody just gets you going. I apologize. It goes like this. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way, and there was planes to catch, and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away, and he was talking for I knew it, and as he grew, he said, I'm going to be like you, Dad, you know I'm going to be like you. And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon, When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when. But we'll get together then, son. You know we'll have a good time then. My child turned ten just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And he walked away. But his smile never dimmed. He said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, you know I'm going to be like him. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when. But we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. He came home from college just the other day. So much like a man I just had to say. Son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and he said with a smile, what I really like, dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? And then he goes on and says, when you're coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then, dad. You know we'll have a good time then. I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to dad if I could find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids got the flu. But it's sure nice talking to you, dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me. He'd grown up just like me. Yeah, my boy was just like me. Do these words... Give anybody goosebumps besides me? This song is a warning. It's a warning about not spending time with your children. And what is the father left with? Regret. I I love this song, but I never, ever, ever really listened to it and looked at the words. How can we as fathers model, and mentor, and minister to our children if we do not spend time with them? How are they going to learn? So one, he failed to discipline his children. Two, he failed to spend time with his children. And three, he failed to reconcile the broken relationship with his children. Second Samuel fourteen twenty four. Before I read it, I just want to explain that Absalom had been stewing in his anger and resentment for two long years, waiting for his father to discipline his brother, Ham-Amnon. So Absalom finally is fed up, takes matters into his own hands, comes up with this scheme. And you have to think about it. He was very patient. Two years he waited. He finally does the evil deed, has his half-brother killed, and then he flees. He goes into exile. He goes to uh, Jeshur with his maternal grandfather for three years, and Second Samuel 14:23 tells us that Joab finally goes and says, "Hey, David, let's bring Absalom back." And so look at verse 24. Second Samuel, 14:24. And the king said, let him dwell apart in his own house. He is not to come into my presence. So Absalom lived apart in his own house and did not come into the king's presence. Basically, David says, okay, he can come back home, but I don't want to see his face. Okay, he can come and raise his family, but I don't want anything to do with him. Wow. That was Something. Even though they lived pretty close to each other, there wasn't any contact, any resolution, any reconciliation. They were distant. Now I'm wondering, is there someone that you haven't spoken to in a couple years? Let me ask you something. Do you think Amsalin's anger, resentment, and bitterness increased or decreased? Increased. What do you think? Increased. What do you think? Increased. Of course. Yes. 2nd Samuel 14:28 says so Absalom lived 2 full years in Jerusalem without coming into the king's presence. 2 full years without seeing his father. How long was Absalom in Geshur? How many? 3 years. And then how, how many years here and uh, back at home? So 3 years in Geshur, 2 years here as a total of Five years. David did not reconcile this relationship with his son for five years. Compare this with the prodigal son in Luke 14, Luke fifteen twenty, And it says, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion on him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Somewhat of a different reaction, wouldn't you say? The prodigal father was willing and waiting to see his son. Ran to him while he was still a far way off. Here, David, he had moved right back. And David wasn't eager to see him. No running. No tears. No kisses. Just rules and conditions. Aren't you glad that God doesn't say to you, Mike? Yeah, okay, I forgive you, but I don't want to see your face for a while. (laughs) Aren't you glad, Jerry? God doesn't say, okay... I forgive you, but don't bother me for a while. Don't come into my presence for a while. That is what David did. So because Absalom has all this pent-up anger and resentment, he goes and he burns Joab's field just so he can get a meeting with his father that he hasn't seen in two years. And look at 1, 2 Samuel 14, 33. Then Joab went to the king and told him, and he summoned Absalom. So he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. David kissed Absalom. While this might look like tender reconciliation, we have to remember this is a different time and a different culture. In those days, a kiss was kind of like our handshake today in the Western world. There was no genuine embrace or a strong hug after five years. No reconciliation, no affirmation, just a superficial gesture to make official peace between the two. But it did nothing to bring them together. There was no reconciliation. And remember, rules without a relationship leads to rebellion. Rebellion. I'll say it one more time. Rules without a relationship leads to rebellion. And boy, did it lead to rebellion. Turn to 2 Samuel 18, 33. It led to Absalom taking over and usurping his father. He took over as the king. And he started a revolt. And this relationship, because David had kept him at arm's length. Led to contempt, conspiracy, revolt, treason, and war. And eventually, Absalom is killed. And then in verse 33, I read that in the opening of the message. And he went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom. What I had died instead of you. Oh my son, my son! This is a tragic and painful scene. All Absalom wanted was to know his dad, his father. All he wanted was a relationship with him, not with the king, not with the the administrative part, he just wanted to know his dad and if Absalom had only seen David's profound sorrow and repentance. Or maybe even heard a heartfelt apology for not disciplining Amnon. What a difference it would have made. But instead, all that Absalom got was a sterile kiss. Absalom's name means father of peace. But isn't it ironic that Absalom found no peace with his father? His name is ironic. This is a tragic scene, because David is feeling so much remorse and anguish. David is in pain. One, because no no parent should outlive their child. No parent should outlive their child. But secondly, he's in pain because of his failure as a father. And it conveys in, in, in that verse five times, my son, my son, my son, Absalom, my son. It's conveyed the anguish by the repetition in that verse. David had five years to make it right. But now it's too late. And David is broken hearted. What's the application? The time to make things right with our children. The time to make things right with those we love is now while they are alive. I urge you, make the effort to reconcile those broken relationships. Maybe there's a family member you haven't spoken to in years. Years. Now is the time to make it right. Trust me, it's worth it. You call them and you begin with these words. Please forgive me. I love you. I know it's tough. I know it's hard, but it's easier, and easier than saying, My son, my son, would I had died instead of you? It's easier. David failed big time by distancing himself and not forgiving his son completely as God had forgiven him. And he lived to regret it. David failed to discipline his children. He failed to spend time with his children. He failed to reconcile the broken relationship with his children. Number four. He finally steps up as a father with Solomon. Turn to 1 Chronicles 28, 9. Just a couple books after. 1 Kings, 1 Chronicles 28, 9. David is about 70 years old here. He's getting ready to die in the next chapter. He has ruled over Israel for 40 years four decades. So he passes on this godly advice to his son Solomon. And these will be his final words on his final days here on earth. So he chooses them carefully. Verse 9. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart And with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. But if you forsake Him, He will cast you off forever. He wants his son Solomon to know three things. One, I want you to know God. I want you to know God. If you could give your children one piece of advice before you died, What would it be? Would it be go to college? Would it be get a career? Would it be marry somebody great? Would it be make some money? Be successful? David looked deeply into the eyes of his son Solomon. He looked and he told his beloved son, Son, know God. Get to know Him deeply. Intimately. That was the first piece of advice he gave him. Not here. Here. I want you to know God. Secondly, I want you to serve God. And David doesn't stop there. He spells it out. He says, serve the Lord with a whole heart and with a willing mind. In other words, wholeheartedly, willingly. Don't hold nothing back. Serve the Lord. Will your children grow up watching you serve the Lord? Will they see their father serving the Lord wholeheartedly and willingly? Are you modeling these things for your children? One of the best teaching tools is to see your children model servanthood. And thirdly, I want you to know God. I want you to serve God. I want you to seek God. What a man after God's own heart. He made some huge mistakes, but he stands tall here. This is solid, godly advice. I love this advice because it's the end of his life. And this advice is based on his life as a man of God. It's full of emotion and rich with meaning. David could say these things because that's the kind of heart that he had. What a man after God. Yes, he was a man after God's own heart. But he was also a man with clay feet. I believe that if David could come back from the dead, he would tell us, he would stand right here and tell us, Fathers, don't make the same mistakes I made as a father. Lastly, turn to Hebrews 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 5. Hebrews 12:5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Do not be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. God is our heavenly Father. And verse 6 tells us that God loves us and disciplines us when we make a wrong turn. The Lord cares enough to discipline His children. And verse 6 says, the Lord disciplines the one He loves. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? That's a rhetorical question. What son doesn't discipline his children? You know, I was talking to Ken last week, and me and Ken have something in common. We both have the house of yes. Our grandchildren come over, and like my grandson, he'll come and he'll go outside, and there's potted plants. He just takes his hand, throws the dirt on the ground. And we allow this because our house is the house of. He comes in. There's all the Tupperware underneath the cabinets. He pulls them all out, starts stirring it, and we he, we allow this because our house is the house of. Yes. He comes. He sees all the teas. We have a drawer that is just teas, just teas. He pulls them all out one by one, dumps them. Loves doing that. I don't know why. He dumps them all, and we allow this because our house is the house of. Yes. yes. He takes my cell phone, and he likes to. I don't know how he knows. He, Start swiping things and doing things. And we, I allow this because our house is the house of? Yeah. But when he gets home and wants his dad's phone and they tell him something because their house is the house of? No. no. He <laughs> got that right. And why do I say that? Because I'm a grandfather. And, a, and my wife's a grandma. And we love our grandchildren. We get to just play with them and love them. And then when we're done? We give them back. You want ice cream, mijo? Oh, yeah, <laughs> Oh, my gosh. But we're grandparents. Grandparents can do that. But parents, parents, fathers, they don't have that luxury. They have to draw the line. You have to draw the line as, as parents. I want him, when he, when he comes over our house, he starts screaming, ah! He knows he's going to have fun. <laughs> but fathers are different. And then it says in verse 8, If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Only child, only legitimate sons are disciplined, not illegitimate. Illegitimate children are not disciplined. And then verse 9, Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. That's why it starts out in verse 12. To uh, let us run the race and uh, get rid of every sin that easily besets us, as Sam spoke on last week. The goal goal is holiness. Holiness. God disciplines us for our good, to protect us, to purify us, and to punish us. God does it for our good. Discipline and correction is not evil. Like this world wants you to think when it's done in love. It is good and it is an expression of love. And then verse 11. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. That is true. But later, you should circle that word in your Bible. Later, later. How much later? It could be years later. Who knows? Later, it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Nobody likes to discipline their children. Why? Why don't we like to discipline our children? Because they cry. Oh my gosh, they cry. They don't get something. They cry. They wail. Then you saw these tears start coming down. They get all teary eyed. Nobody likes that, but later, afterwards, you hug them and you tell them how much you love them and you want them to change their behavior. Discipline helps produce godly character or the fruit of righteousness. And God disciplines us and his discipline is given to help us, not to hurt us. His discipline is given to build us up, not to tear us down. And amen belongs right there. Listen to me. And I'm saying this, my chief desire is not for my children to become wealthy or famous or successful. My chief desire in prayer, even to this day, is that they know God, they serve God, and they seek God. That is our chief desire. God is looking to restore his relationship with you. And he wants to repair that broken relationship. And all his children, he wants them to come back. And what you need to do is acknowledge and confess that you've sinned. God is like the prodigal's father. Willing, ready, and waiting to restore us to fellowship and communion. Romans 5 says, but God chose his love for us in that while we were yet... Sinners, Christ died for us. Will you accept him as your Lord and Savior today? If you have Christ, you have everything. The in, I read that verse where Absalom dies. And David said, would I have died in your, instead of you? But the King James says, would God I had died for thee? Or the New King James says, would I had died in your place? See, David wanted to die in Absalom's place because he loved him. But it was too late. But it's not too late for you who are here today. It's not too late if you're listening to this message. God loves you. And Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. And he will save you today if you would just cry out to him and say, Lord, Be merciful to me, a sinner. Six-year-old Tommy came down the stairs crying and weeping, crying. And the mother saw him and said, What's the matter, son? And little Tommy says, Daddy hit his thumb with a hammer. Hit his thumb. And then the mother said, But why is a big boy like you crying? A big boy like you shouldn't be crying why don't why didn't you just laugh? And the boy replied, I did. <laughs> Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, many of us have made mistakes just like David. But help us to learn from this godly man and raise us up to be servant leaders in our homes. Bless your word today, Lord. Pray you would speak to our hearts in Jesus' name, and all the people said. Amen. Amen. Amen.